Well, hey there, my name is Eric Gray, and I'm the Young Adult and Family Minister here at the Regency Church of Christ. I just want to take a minute and say thank you for checking out this message. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. And to find out more information about Regency or to listen to other messages from this series, we'd love for you to check out our website at regencycc.org. And we're praying that this message will help you grow closer to Jesus. You notice that we have done everything possible in our world today to remove the need to be patient anymore. I mean, think about a couple of things. You can now, as if fast food wasn't fast enough, you can order your food from your phone, pay for it, and then just pull up and pick it up. You can lay in your bed in the morning or at night and buy all of your groceries and simply pull into Walmart and they'll actually load them into your car. Or you can pay just a little bit extra and a few of the grocery stores will actually deliver them for you. I told my children the other day when we picked up groceries and the kind gentleman just loaded them into our car for us. I said, do you realize how good you guys have it? We used to walk through the grocery store for hours and hours with mom while she walked up and down every aisle of the store, regardless whether or not she was going to get something off of that aisle. And we were expected to behave that whole time. I mean, think about the last road trip you went on. When we were children, what did we do? We just stared out the window for hours and hours and hours. Or maybe we played the game I Spy or... You know, the game, tell them to stop touching me, right? Well, now our children just simply watch a movie or play on an iPad. And then they have the audacity to say, I'm bored. Like it's in those moments that my blood just starts boiling and the rage starts coming and I just start praying, right? Well, the faster we make our world spin, the more impatient we actually become. So think about it. If a web page is taking too long to load, what do you do? You just close it. If you're scrolling through Instagram and there's a video and it won't immediately start playing, you just, you just keep on scrolling right by. Uh, think about the money that Universal Studios and Six Flags is now making because as if you didn't pay enough money to go there, now you can pay hundreds of more dollars to get what they call a fast pass so that either you don't have to wait or you just have to wait in a lot shorter line. We are removing all need to be patient today. But there is a a downside. The more impatient we become, the more the less resilient we become think about the number of people who get a job these days and things don't work out exactly like they thought it would and so they just quit after a very short period of time maybe your teacher or your professor assigns you a paper to write and it's you know more than a paragraph and you just don't want to put in the time well now you can go online and you can pay somebody to write your research paper that's pretty genius uh or think about think about you didn't get into the college that you wanted to maybe it was that ivy league school you really wanted to go to and you didn't get accepted so you just have mom and dad pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to bribe the college admissions director and the next thing you know you're graduating from a very prestigious university Or maybe for something I think most of us can understand, you're scrolling through Facebook and someone posts their political views and it's something that offends you and that you don't agree with and so you unfriend them and report their account as spam. I hope I'm not the only one who's ever done that. But there is a spiritual downside to 
this idea of losing our patience, it's that faith actually requires patience and perseverance. Faith requires it. Do you remember how James opened up his letter that we've been studying for the last couple of months? Here's what he said in chapter 1, verse 1. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's writing to the scattered. He's writing to this group of people who has been exiled. What, what he calls the diaspora. This group who have been kicked out of their community or they have been ostracized by their community because of their faith. And then he goes into verse two and he says, count it all joy. Count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You see, patience and perseverance are products of faith. Our faith should be producing within us this idea of becoming more patient, this idea of waiting. And so as we get to the close of James' letter today, he really ends where he began. He goes back to this idea of being patient in the midst of suffering, that we're all going to have to wait, and there's something that we're waiting on. And so just to kind of outline where we're headed today, he's going to tell us that that we're waiting on Jesus to return. And there's really two reasons why we should wait patiently for that. And then he's going to give us three things that we should do while we wait on the Lord. Let's read our text for today. James chapter five, starting in verse seven. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits patiently for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers or sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So James lays out for us two reasons why we should wait for the Lord, why we should wait patiently for Jesus to return. The first one is this. It's worth it. It's worth the wait. Now, there's only a few things in this world that are worth the wait. Give you a couple of examples. The flight of passage ride at Disney World's Animal Kingdom is absolutely, I heard some yeses, it's absolutely worth the wait. We waited over two hours to ride it, and it was worth every minute of the wait. If you've gone to Gulf Shores and you've been to the Yard Milk Shop Bar, it is absolutely worth the wait, because that is the most delicate item you will ever place in your mouth. Your uh, taste buds will literally leap for joy, jump right off of your tongue, pat you on the back and say thank you for caring about me so much. The the day that I saw Haley walk down the aisle on our wedding day, it was absolutely worth the wait. Come on, folks, I'm trying to get brownie points here. Y'all supposed to be like, aww, I'm trying to get some husband points over here and y'all are not helping me out here. Or if you held your child for the first time, it was worth all nine months of anticipation and all of those hours of labor. There are some things in this world that are worth the wait. And what James says is that waiting on Jesus to return, it's absolutely worth the wait. You see, time is linear. We're not just endlessly spinning in time, that we're actually moving towards a certain point, that we are waiting on an event 
to happen. That time is leading us to this moment when Jesus is going to return. Here's how John would describe it in Revelation chapter 21. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away, and the one who on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are faithful and true. This is what we're waiting for. We're waiting to be with God for all of eternity. We're waiting to be restored in our relationship with the Heavenly Father, just like Adam and Eve dwelt with God in the Garden of Eden and they walked with Him and they lived with Him and He was there in their midst. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting on everything to be set right. We're waiting on Jesus to return and to come for us. This is what James writes, wait patiently for the Lord because it's worth the wait. He says it's worth it because it's what you were created for. We were created to dwell with God. It's what your heart and soul longs for. That there's this part of you that says, this can't be as good as it gets. You're absolutely right. It gets way better when the Lord returns. I love this line from C.S. Lewis who said, when I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Here's what Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, that it's not only us that's waiting, but it's all creation that is waiting on this moment. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us on that day in which Jesus returns. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What's he talking about? He's talking about in the fall of man, that creation was subjected to bondage, that there was a curse not only upon man, but upon the world. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption, the sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What's he talking about? He's talking about this moment that we're all waiting for when Jesus will return, that it's worth the weight that all is going to be okay because it's worth it. But the second thing that James is telling us is not only is the weight worth it, but it won't be long. It's not too much longer that we're going to be waiting on the Lord. You might describe it like this. We are living in the soon but not yet time period. So think about this. It's kind of like school. Kids are going to go back to school soon, but not yet. It'll be here before we know it. I know this is the way many of you can understand this. Football season is coming soon, but not yet. Until then, we've got to endure baseball season, and hopefully we'll survive. Or when you ask your wife, hey, how much longer before you're ready to go? And she says, five minutes. We all know five minutes does not mean five minutes. It's just an analogy. It's just a metaphor. It's really an indefinite period of time. 
Might as well say soon. When is soon? Whenever soon becomes now, right? Another way that we could describe it, not only soon but not yet, is long days but fast years. If you're raising children, you absolutely understand what that means. Long days. Sometimes they're longer than they seem, right? But the years just fly by. If you just graduated from high school, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The days seem so long of all these projects and assignments you had to turn in. But then when you look back, it's like, man, it was over in a, in a blink of an eye. And sometimes the days seem really long living this Christian life. But when you look back, it's like the years are just flying by. It's been over 2,000 years, or excuse me, it's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And as he was ascending, he promised he would return. And there's this part of us that can grow impatient, just like toddlers riding on, or teenagers riding on a long road trip, asking, are we there yet? Is it time? Are we there yet? God is saying, soon. It's coming soon, but not yet. James is saying, just wait. We're almost there. It's not that much longer. So what do we do in the meantime? While we're waiting on Jesus to return, should we just huddle together and live on some little compound and just wait out our days for the Lord to return? No, that's not what God called us to do. What do we do in the meantime? I think there's three, three things that he calls us to do in this text. To while we wait on the Lord. The first one is this, be positive. He calls us to be positive. You see, our impatience can affect our relationships with other people. Do you remember when you were a kid, especially if you have siblings, and you went on one of those really long road trips, maybe driving to vacation or driving to grandma and granddad's house, and you're sitting in this small four-door sedan, you know, because your parents were too cheap to buy a car that had space, and so you're sitting there scrunched together in a can of sardines, and you're driving for hours and hours and hours, and you have no room to move. And after about an hour or maybe about five minutes, one of your siblings goes, they're touching me. Well, of course they're touching you. It is virtually impossible for you to not make physical contact when there is only this much space between the two of you. I mean, the, the probability of that happening is so high. And really, the issue is not them touching you. Okay, it might be, especially if it was a younger sibling. Really, the issue is you're just impatient. You're tired of sitting and waiting. You want to get there. You want to get out. You want to run and play. And now you got this person who maybe you didn't even ask for your parents to bring them into the world, and they won't quit making physical contact with you. And so you gripe and you complain. And it's got nothing to do with them. It's got to do with your impatience. You just want to get there. Well, here's the truth that James is making for us. As we're going on this journey together, as we're traveling with one another through time, waiting on the Lord to come and redeem us, what happens is, is that we can grow impatient with one another. Now, there's a positive side to this and a negative side to this. If we never grow impatient with one another, it means we didn't live together as family. Because you generally don't get impatient with the people that you never have interaction with unless they just really bother you and they do something that just really irks you. Otherwise, we generally grow impatient with those who we are around the most. And what James is telling us is we should be living together as family. We should be treating one another as a spiritual family because that's what we are. We are all children of God. And the more time we spend together, 
the likelier it is that we're going to get impatient and aggravated and frustrated with another person. And it's likely that you have grown impatient or frustrated or aggravated with a person in this very room. I don't want you to say amen. I don't want you to point to them. I don't want you to look at them. We can just all agree that sometimes we get on one another's nerves. Well, that's because we're family. That's because we're traveling together through time. And that's to be expected. But James says, stay positive. Don't get caught up in this idea of grumbling and complaining because we're traveling through time and we're almost there. It's worth it. Just stay positive. The second thing that he points out for us is stay faithful. You see, there's this temptation that the longer the journey goes, that we say, man, why did we ever decide to do this? You've probably done that before. You go on a really long road trip this is especially what we parents think. And, you know, you're a couple hours away and you're like, what were we thinking? Why did we ever think that putting our children in a locked space for hours and hours and hours was a good idea? Well, that's because we had grand ideas of making all these memories and it results in tears and some laughter. And, you know, you laugh about it when they're grown and gone, right? At least that's what people have told me. Um, but the point is, is that there's this point at which you say, is it worth it? Should I keep going? And James gives us two examples. The first one is the prophets. This is a group of men and women like David or uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Deborah. These are people who spoke on God's behalf. They delivered God's message to the people. Sometimes they had to say things that the people didn't want to hear. Like when they were told, hey, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to take us all captive. They're going to kill a lot of us. And we're going to live in Babylon for 70 years. And then God comes back and says, uh, actually, it's like 70 times 7. You got a little bit longer in captivity. Well, if you're the bearer of bad news, you're generally the person that bears the brunt of it, right? That's the prophets. And the things that they would say about Jesus, about the Messiah, the one who would save and rescue them, they would never see come into fulfillment. But they knew that God was doing something. And they waited patiently for it. The second person that James gives as an example is Job. And you might be thinking, oh yeah, Job, that's the guy who had all this bad stuff happen to him. And he waited patiently for God to work it all out. Well, you're right. All bad stuff did happen to Job. But when you really read through the book of Job, I wouldn't say he was the most patient individual. He was faithful to the Lord. Patient? Uh, I don't know. He said some things to God and about God that I don't know that I would ever have the audacity to say. He got really close to accusing God of doing all of this. And at around chapter 38 of Job, God speaks. And I'm going to summarize four chapters of God talking. It's amazing. You, you should go read some of the things that God says in, Je in Job 38 through 41. Let me summarize a couple of those chapters for you. God says, Job, hush. Tell your friends to hush. All your complaining and griping and blaming, just hush. I'm still God and still in control. And I love what Job said as he has this moment with God, he says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. But you know, we're a lot like Job. When things aren't going so good, when we're really struggling, when we're really suffering, maybe when, when the, uh, 
the cancer won't go away or when you're standing beside the coffin of your loved one or you've lost your job or you were betrayed by a close friend or you've been battling depression and, and these things are going on in your life that you're really struggling with, there's this point at which you, you're very tempted to say, and maybe you have, you look up and you say, God, why me? Why is this happening? And then there's this thought in the back of your mind, is it worth it? Why am I going through this? Does God still love me? Listen to what he's saying through his word. It's worth it. Just hold on a little bit longer. It's not going to be that much longer before Jesus returns. Just wait. It's worth the wait. You're almost there. And listen to what God told Job. I'm still in control. I'm still faithful to you. I've got this. You're almost there. This is going to pass. Just stay faithful. And here's the third thing. Be positive, be faithful, be truthful. James is going to echo a line from the Sermon on the Mount about let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, we live in a world in which truth is relative. And that means that deception and lying have really become normalized. Did you know that in 2017, 59% of students said that at some point in that year they had cheated on an exam? Did you know that 20% of husbands and 13% of wives have admitted to cheating on their spouse with, with another individual? And that's just the ones who have admitted it. There was a study done back in 2010 that said that the average person told 1.65 lies per day. That's astounding. We're living in a world in which truth comes at a premium. That when people tell the truth, it sort of surprises us. And what James is telling us is that as believers, as people who are patiently waiting on the Lord, that we know that a greater freedom and future is coming, that our greatest witness and testimony to the world is the fact that we are speaking truth and that we are living with honesty and integrity. And so what that looks like is if you say you're going to do something, keep your word. If one of your children asks you to do something and you have no intention of doing it, then be honest with them and say, no, I don't think we're going to do this. I got caught in this one not too long ago. Kinley came up to me and said, hey, Dad, can we do something? I don't even remember what she asked for us to do. And I said, we'll see. And I heard her walking off. She goes, Layla, he said no. And I'm like, oh, I have been busted. I can't say we'll see anymore. But you know what? If I had no intention of actually doing it, shame on me. I shouldn't have said we'll see. And so students, be people of integrity. Don't cheat on your tests or on your assignments. Wives, don't ask your husbands if what you're wearing makes you look fat. Husbands, don't ask your uh, wives, don't, let me, husbands, don't ask your wives if your hair is thinning. Let's not put one another in situations where we have to consider ethical you know, ramifications. Employees, don't steal time or money from your bosses. Employers, don't take advantage of your employees or make promises to them that you have no intention of keeping. We should be people of truth, people who live with honesty, people who keep our word. It's one of our greatest witnesses that Jesus is coming, and it won't be long. So Christians in the first and second century had a really interesting greeting that they used when they would see one another. And it was the Aramaic word Maranatha. I think it'll be up on the screen in just a second. Maranatha. This was something that they would say to one another as they would pass by. And, and it had a really interesting meaning. In fact, you see it at the very end of the book 
uh, Revelation. You can find it in 1 Corinthians and a couple other places. The word means the Lord is coming or come, O Lord. There's a lot of history behind this word because for Christians living in the first and second century, many of them are living under the rule of the Roman Empire. Well, the Roman Empire had a Lord. His name was Caesar, the Roman Emperor. And he promised peace and security for all of the citizens of the Roman Empire. And he would deliver peace and security through violence and oppression. Well, in comes this Jewish carpenter who many people began to proclaim as Lord, as another Lord, as the Lord. And his promise was peace and security. But his promise didn't come through violence and oppression. His promise for peace and security came through sacrificial love. It came through giving up of his own life. And in the midst of the oppression that these Christians were facing, in the midst of the suffering in which they were enduring, to, re- to remind one another and to fill one another with hope, when they would see each other, they would say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. You see, today we talk about the Lord's returning to scare people. Get your life right, Jesus is coming back. That's not the way that they use that term. It was never, be, it was never meant to be used to f- fear you into serving the Lord. Because fear is a bad motivator. Rather, it was to remind us that a greater future is coming. It's worth the wait. We're almost there. Hold on. If you're being kicked out of your community, if you've lost your job, if you've suffered physical harm, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Just hold on a little bit longer. And it caused this hope-filled community to not cower down in the midst of oppression, but to stand up and to face it radically and courageously because they believe the Lord is coming and He's worth it. He's worth waiting for. And so this morning, if you're discouraged, if you're stressed out, Maranatha, if your marriage is struggling, if your kids are going nuts, Maranatha, if your job isn't working out, if you're having some relationship issue, Maranatha. If you've been diagnosed and the diagnosis was not good and you're worried about what the future is going to bring, if you've been by the bedside of a loved one who is really struggling, Maranatha. If your life is going well, if everything is perfect and beautiful, Maranatha. The Lord is coming that not only was it a greeting of hope for them, but it should be a reminder and a greeting for us. Not just to not get so comfortable, but there's a greater future coming. The Lord is coming. And let's prepare our hearts and our minds. And let's prepare our lives for our Lord to return. Maranatha, church. The Lord is coming. And so this morning, if you want to pledge your allegiance King Jesus. If you want to give your life to Him and serve the King who promises and delivers peace and security, not through violence and oppression, but through love, through sacrificial love, through giving of His life for you, we love to help you meet the Lord today. We'd love to assist you in being baptized into Christ, to have your sins washed away, to make Jesus your Lord today. 
If you've been discouraged by life, if you've been beaten down, if, if the world is getting the best of you, if you've lost sight of what really matters and you want to return back to the Lord, you want to renew your zeal for Him, then we'd love to pray with you and to encourage you and surround you as we all together remind one another the Lord is coming. A greater future is on its way. And let's continue to wait patiently together, positively, faithfully, truthfully, as we wait on the Lord. If we can assist you in any way, please make your way to the front as we stand and sing this song.